Look what happened to the car. I threw this little prick into it. Gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever, assuming that it ever, you know, publishes. My name is Adam Portress, and uh, yes, it's been some time, but boy, oh boy, have I got something to talk about today, because you know what I like to do? I like to talk about movies, and I have so much to say about this week's movie. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new movie by, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, hopefully this episode will go well because we're doing it over Skype and Robert is back, but you are on location now uh, with Skype over a telephone. You sound good, though. Welcome back again. I'll just go ahead and say that. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it, man. Glad to uh, be here. It's been a while. Yeah, we've gotten a little bit of a a little bit of a delay here, so hopefully it won't be too awful bad. We're gonna try to. Uh, I've told him to interrupt me as many times as he wants, and uh, we'll try to you know make things roll from there. Uh, but man, oh man, I've got so much to say about Tarantino's new movie, and I needed someone. I didn't need someone, but I would have liked to have someone to talk to about it. And you've seen this movie, so. Uh, I, I think it's time that we uh, somebody needs to talk about this thing. Dog on it. I agree. So let's let's do this before we get going and everything. Uh, what you've been watching now? Uh, you've seen. Uh, you you don't go to the movies as much as I do. Uh, so, but so you go ahead. What have you been watching? Do you watch stuff at home more now? Or are you are you into any particular TV shows or anything of that nature? Yeah, I haven't watched a whole lot of new stuff <laughs> lately. Um, yeah, hadn't been a whole lot of movies this summer. But, uh, yeah, I watched a little bit of Netflix with the kids. Caught up on Stranger Things, of course. Um, I did I did get back into some, uh, we were talking earlier back in the spring about Kubrick. So I kind of got back into a few Kubrick movies. Yeah, and, we, uh, we, we want to do about, about we, his films. We yeah. want to do a at some point. We want to do like a, a kind of a retrospective of, of Kubrick stuff. Go through in order uh, the movies that he does and everything. And if you guys dig that idea, that you know Robert and I will come back once uh, an episode, talk about a particular Kubrick project, and then just move chronologically through his career and everything. Because I think that would be interesting to uh, talk about. So uh, hit us up. Let us know if that's something that. Uh, you guys want to uh, check out. Uh, let me talk about a couple of the movies that, uh, you know, while, while I haven't been doing a podcast, going to the movies is something that I just don't really stop doing too awful much. Uh, so let's cover a couple things. Uh, first of all, I saw uh, Crawl, the new Alexander Aja alligator movie. Um, and here's the thing. It's, um, it's exactly what you expect it to be. Uh-oh. <laughs> Still there? Yeah. I w- yeah. Okay. You're yeah, just, you're I, was, I was actually wanting to see that. Yeah. I saw the trailer for that, and I did. That one did interest me, but I haven't seen it yet. It's 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of astounding to me. I mean, because honestly, when I watch this, I, I just go, there's no way critics like this. There's there's no way. But sure <laughs> enough, they, I mean, they're actually higher than the audience score on that one. So, uh but, you know, if you wow. like good little exploitation films, that's certainly a way to go. Did you guys get a chance to go see uh, Toy Story 4? 
actually surprising we have not yet. I know it's crazy. It's good stuff. Um, uh, it doesn't need yeah, to I exist. Gotta, but yeah, it's yeah. it's good. <laughs> I also saw Yesterday, which is uh, the new film from Danny Boyle. Um, it's wildly forgettable. Like, you watch the movie and you just go, do I like this movie or do I just like the Beatles music? And ultimately, I think it is you just like the Beatles music. <laughs> because the story nice. is fine, but it doesn't really, I don't know. It, it, it's not super great. It, it's fair. I, I don't know why. It's at 63% with... Uh, with critics and uh, it's in eighty nine with audiences, and again, I think this is all because it is. It, it's like Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody was not a very good movie, but it had a lot of elements that you enjoyed about it. Is that like, oh, I, I really, right. you really like exactly. the music in it, but the movie itself is just. It's a lifetime movie. It's a lifetime movie. With right, an it's amazing like a big soundtrack. fan of the music, so you're you're into it already. You're sold on it, but then the movie's not quite. Yeah, to that level, right. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, I also saw Stuber, uh, the new movie with Kamel Nanjiani and uh, Dave Bautista. Uh, do yourself a favor and miss that one. It's a turd. Uh, almost, almost nothing about it redeemable. It's it's just, it's boring. Uh, and here's what's hilarious, though. I think Dave Bautista, like, especially when he was kind of going on his rant and just screaming at everybody for, you know, James Gunn or, or Trump or whatever, like his big, like, he had like a, like a six-month run there where his ego was just off the chain. And I think it was due to him, like, being a lead in this movie and that little spy movie, which, by the way, they pushed back till next year because this movie did so horribly at the box office because they go, oh, crap, Dave Bautista's probably not the star we all thought he was. You're not the second coming of Yeah, that's not a good sign for your career, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think Ouch. that's what he thought. I think he thought he was going to be, you know, the rock part, too. But, you know wrestlers coming into like really successful uh you know acting careers is few and far between i mean you could even argue roddy piper was not really you know a big actor you know right. hulk hogan mm, he was in some stuff but you know not really an actor At yeah least... you're going down the scale now <laughs> <laughs> but like john cena doing okay he's doing okay he's not yeah. like he doesn't have quite the charisma that the rock does but like like the rock he's also willing to make fun of himself and you know be the butt of jokes which i think certainly uh goes well for him but dave batista doesn't seem i don't know there's just something about him that i think he thinks he's far cooler than he really is he's fine but uh i don't think we're, we're going to be making him a star anytime too soon uh, I also saw Annabelle uh, Comes Home. This is the third in the Annabelle uh, movies, all in the Conjuring universe. The first Annabelle movie was fair. Like, it had a couple of interesting moments in it. But by and large, it was fairly, you know, tossable. You didn't really need it. Second Annabelle film was actually pretty good, much better than the first one. And this third one is uh, kind of a departure from all of those and becomes like a haunted house movie in a way. Uh, it's not amazing, but it's pretty fun. It's a lot of fun for what it is, and it's you know if you like these conjuring flicks and things like that, uh, you'll probably dig it well enough. Uh, so I suggest uh, checking that out if if in that that's the kind of thing that you're into. Uh, also saw saw uh, Rocket Man, which of the uh, musical biopics and stuff, uh, the most enjoyable. Because here's the thing with with that one, it's not just about the music. Well, I mean, it is about the music. It's about his life and everything. But it's an actual musical as opposed to a 
a story with uh, musical numbers in it. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, like a biopic with some music. Yeah, like inter- it doesn't. Inter- we're not at Live Aid just having a, a having a concert. You know, uh, like like the the young version of him is singing songs. The older version, like it's, but it's done really well. And surprisingly, I mean, I thought because I'd seen him, I'd seen him sing on some other programs and stuff, and I'm like, oh, Taron Egerton's just like, I mean, it's it's tough to do Elton John. Elton John's a very distinctive voice and everything, and. Uh, but he pulls it off rather well. I, I liked it. I thought it was a really good movie. I had a fun time with it. Uh, I think most people don't even recognize Bryce Dallas Howard in the movie. Uh, she's gained a little bit of weight for the part and everything. Plays Elton's mom, and uh, she's actually really good. The whole the whole flick's pretty great. And uh, so I would I definitely suggest that uh, check that out. Another movie that I thoroughly enjoyed that a lot of people did not was uh, Midsummer. Uh, Midsummer is the new movie uh, written and directed by Ari Aster, the guy who did uh, Hereditary. Did you ha- get to see Hereditary by any chance? No, I haven't. No. Well, um, I I don't know that. Yeah, well, it's it's um, it's a rough one. <laughs> it's good. It's a good movie, but boy, oh boy, um, don't let the wife see that one just because it like it's a <laughs> it's got some stuff to do there's some kid stuff in there that's just like oh boy <laughs> but uh really good and midsummer is his follow-up where these people go to uh, uh some I don't know if it's Sweden or a Scandinavian country of some sort uh, uh but I, I don't want to give too much away about it uh people either love this movie or hate the movie everybody at work well i don't say everybody but like a good majority of people at work absolutely hate the movie they think it's terrible they're like it looks good it's pretty but it's slow nothing happens and uh it's just i i, I don't i don't care for it and uh, we'll talk about another movie that uh, people are uh, saying is slow and nothing really happens but yet things <laughs> happen uh, a little later in the show uh, again, more more stuff here. Uh, John Wick three. Do you like? Did you like the first two John Wick movies? Then yeah, you'll... yeah, I, I have seen the first two John Wick movies and enjoyed them. Yes. Then you'll like this Definitely. one because it's more of the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. It's it's good though. I yeah. mean, and and I'll say this: some of the most crotch trauma I've seen in a movie in a long, long time. You talk about, I mean, from oh, no. punching crotches, shooting crotches. Uh, dogs eating crotches. So much crotch damage in this movie, it's unbelievable. But it's so good. Uh, so I would definitely say uh, check that out if you yeah, have Yeah, I'll it. definitely check that one out for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other things that I haven't covered. I'm sure I talked about Booksmart at some point. That was pretty decent. Uh, as was the uh, Child's Play remake. All right, so I, yeah, I think I've pretty much talked about just about all the uh, little stuff here and there. Uh, but let's get into it, man, because uh, we've got a movie to talk about that is quite, um, I don't want to say it's quite divisive, but it's a bit divisive because people, some people do not care for it, and I, I certainly don't know why. But let's go ahead and listen to the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> oh, the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? <laughs> Have you not seen bastards? <laughs> <laughs> 
stuntman. So you still with Rick, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Line. Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. Dalton. Don't you forget it. Alrighty, everybody, that was the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new movie written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Here's the IMDb logline. As we know, IMDb always 100% correct in everything they say and or do. A faded television star and his stunt doubles strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. This, of course, is starring Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, and some guy named Brad Pitt. Never heard of him. Uh man, oh man! All right, first of all, before we get going into this, Robert, what's your um, what's your Tarantino history? What's your how how do you feel about him uh, before seeing all this movie? Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan for sure. I mean, definitely a fan of all his stuff. You know, some more than others, but definitely a fan. So I was really looking forward to this movie. Um, yeah, and I think maybe, you know, part of what the reaction is to it is maybe because of that, maybe because of certain people, you know, people having a certain um, expectation of what they're going to see in a Tarantino film. And maybe this wasn't exactly that. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But yeah, I've always been a big fan. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to talk about here is a little bit of like expectations versus what you were, what you're given and everything. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk vaguely about the movie and everything, what we liked, you know, and and all that kind of jazz. And then, but we're going to, we're going to avoid a lot of spoilers and stuff. And then we're going to do like a big spoiler section because I think a lot of this movie has, we have to talk about, you know, what happens, you know, what happens properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have to, the spoiler part is really, I think the, the, the meat of a lot of it. Right. Sure. And, and and that's where, like, I don't want to say some people are divided, but like there's there's a point in the movie where everyone is super excited, but everything previous to that, they don't they don't dig. So let's let's talk about this for a while, because I think this is an important factor to go into. And I've tried to talk to some people about this and some people just don't get it now with movies. We need to, when you watch a movie, you need to judge a movie, review a movie based upon what that movie gives you 
and not necessarily what you expect that movie to give you. Now, I think a lot of, and you can relate to this, I'm sure, uh, Star Wars is definitely one where a lot of people have particular ideas as to what should be shown to them, and if it's not shown to them, they get a little bit peeved. Would you kind of agree with that? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I think you would, <laughs> because I know you well enough to know that uh, that's the thing. But you have to be able to sit back and look at a movie from a fresh perspective and go and not say, I wanted this movie. And that's fine. You can want that movie, but you can't judge a movie because it, and you can't judge a movie harshly if it wasn't what you expected it to be, what you wanted it to be. Because ultimately, it's not your decision what this movie is. Now, you may not like the movie, and that's perfectly fine. You may have a lot of fantastic, justifiable positions that, uh, that weren't you disliking the film. I am a thousand percent okay with that. Different strokes for different folks. Everybody can do as they please. However, I, d I just don't think that you can have expectations and then put that on to a filmmaker and say, these are the things that I expect from you. If you don't give me exactly what I want, your movie was no good. I agree. Like if you don't like, if you don't like the movie, fine, but saying, Oh, you know, I'm not even giving this movie a chance because it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be or what it should be. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. Because Tarantino has a a a, a type of uh, I would definitely say an auteur kind of director. This is a guy who you know wants what he wants, puts what he wants on screen, and everyone else's opinions and ideas be damned. That's kind of what he wants to do. And I think that's absolutely fine. And he's certainly done that here. And I think he's done it to a fantastic degree because ultimately this movie is a slow burn. For sure. Now, it, what, so what, definitely, it's definitely a, a hangout type. Deal. And that's precisely what I was telling people. I'm like, this is, this is a hangout film. These are where, and he's had an obsession with hangout films for quite some time. He mentions Jackie Brown in that, uh, in the in that vein quite an awful lot and that's exactly what this movie is you are with these guys and and and, and gal in, in one particular case and you're following them throughout you know their day and everything and that's i don't want to say that's all that there is but that's a lot of what what goes on here and i think one of the major complaints is is that during all of this time, during the, let's call it, two-hour lead-up <laughs> to, to, to the final scene and everything, people are calling that a giant waste of time. Or, 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 or worse than that, very <laughs> masturbatory, that he's just like, oh, he's just doing whatever he wants to do and just kind of kicking back and just, you know, like, I, I don't understand that philosophy that these people are, that think he's just doing this for fun. I don't know. Yeah, it's just an obsession with plot and action rather than, you know, character and, you know, just the, you know, not only making you care about those characters, but just the, the ambiance, the feeling, the emotions created by those first two hours plus. If, I mean, if you're not feeling that, it's, you know, you, you really missed out. And I think that, I think ultimately this buildup with the first two hours and everything is – it gets us invested in these characters because by the time and like and here's the thing when i'm when i'm talking about this movie to people you know what i don't do 
And this isn't on purpose. This just happens. I've found that this happens naturally. I've seen the movie twice now. And when I'm talking to people about the movie, the thing that I always kind of go to is uh, is is referring to the characters. I don't go, and then Leo does this, and then Brad does this. I refer to them as the characters because these characters are very well developed. They're very lived in. We get You literally get to know who these people are, what their thoughts are, what their insecurities are. And you follow them along this road. So when you get to that end, you are so invested in these characters and invested in what's going on. And you know a little bit of history that, you know, the first time that we'll get there. But the first time that I saw, you know, the climactic scene and everything, I was I was just like I was just on pins and needles. Everything was just amazing because I cared about everything. And I did that. And I cared because of that previous two hours worth of material. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I love that part of the movie. I mean, from the very beginning throughout, just hanging out with Rick and Cliff and, and seeing their experiences, their their highs and lows, mostly lows. But uh, that's that's what the movie was about. So that's what I don't understand. If you can't appreciate that, it's kind of sad because really that is what the movie is about. It's about those two characters. Yes, there's some plot. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, pop culture things, whether you're interested in, you know, in that time period or not. But just those characters, like you said, I 100% agree. You just want to hang out with those guys, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I wanted to see more. It definitely didn't drag for me. I could watch those guys all day. I, I my initial screening, uh, I I, uh, I work at a movie theater and um, I, I'm a manager there, and so I have keys to the building, and so the uh, the night before this, so like a Wednesday night, Wednesday night when we closed up shop and everything, everyone was sent home, uh, and the uh, it was this thing was unlocked so I could go and watch it. I told the cleaning crew, I'm like, hey, I'm staying here for later. Don't worry about me. And I went into the theater. I cranked it up to, you know, the appropriate volume level. And uh, I, I watched this thing starting at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was on pins and needles the entire time. A solo screening in a giant theater with it cranked up extra loud. And I just, it was an absolute blast. And that's what this, I'm sorry, this movie is very fun. I, I can't believe people are like, oh, these things are boring. I'm like... I don't know, like hanging out with these people is super fun. And when I got to the end of it, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go hang out with these characters again. Especially having known Absolutely. what the ending is. I wanted to go hang out with the characters again. I mean, so I saw it again that Thursday mm -hmm. night, uh, you know, with, with a packed crowd. And the packed crowd, uh, by and large, pretty much liked it. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people that I, I think, and let's get into this a little bit. I do think that some things um, suffer in this movie if you don't have at least somewhat of an idea of history. Uh, because as this movie is laid out, it is it takes place in 1969, in August, well, some in August, some a couple months previous, uh, in 1969, just before, uh, you know, the, the Tate murders. And, uh, the, you know, so Charles Manson and all that kind of jazz, you know, most people know the, know the story, right? Uh, I was surprised to find out how many people didn't know anything that was going on, didn't realize, I talked to a girl that Thursday night, and she said uh, she had done like an entire report on the Manson family and all this other jazz. And yet 
for some odd reason, didn't know who Sharon Tate was. I'm just like, did did you, did you skip a chapter? Uh, what happened? Did you not get to the end of it? Because you know that's things kind of happen. So I was really shocked, and like people didn't even realize that that was a real person, and that like you know. Uh, <laughs> that Cliff is not a real guy, uh, that uh, Rick is not a real guy. Yeah, they're, they're not real. Those guys aren't real, but the other people are real. And I thought that was, like, right. they, strange. They, yeah, they couldn't understand which parts were real and which ones were fictional and how they meshed. Gotcha. So it's, oh, wow. And it's I, kind of I absolutely agree because the conflict for me, and I think my, my experience and your experience watching the movie for the first time were probably very similar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We probably had a very similar understanding of history and music, movie, cult, TV culture of that time period. And to me, the conflict and the tension in the movie comes from your knowledge of the Manson, Sharon Tate killings. Yeah. You, because you're waiting. You, you know what's coming. And like to me, that's and, fantastic. Yeah. It's that bomb under the table that you know at some point is going to go off. And so, and so they're showing yeah, you that I bomb agree. is amazing. Yeah, and if you don't know that's coming, of course you might sit there and be bored. <laughs> but when you but when you have that little specter on, on, on you know down there on the horizon just waiting for you to get to it and you're slowly you you realize that you're coming closer and closer to it. So because it's always looming there in the background ever so slightly. And that's what kind of makes it scary, too, is that, like, eh, it's just like, oh, it's just kind of there. Exactly. That's where the conflict and the tension comes from is that knowledge of, oh, wow, I kind of know how this or you think you do, at least. I know how this story ends. This is not good. You know, this is so happy and fun what we're watching, but we know what's coming. So without that knowledge, it would the movie would play totally differently. So let's talk a little bit about kind of like who these guys are, where they kind of come from and everything. So Rick Dalton is a star of 50s television westerns. And there's a lot of, and Cliff Booth is his stunt double on there. And they open up, the, the movie opens up with a little bit of a, an NBC interview. Uh, you know, really the uh, things that they do even to this very day. <laughs> where we get on set and we kind of talk to these people and it's just, you know, fluff. But you get laid out who these guys are, where they come from, and then how, you know, if you again, if you know things about history and the history of TV westerns and stuff like that, how they were really kind of starting to tank uh, you know, towards the end of the 60s. And you hear, you know, they talk about it all the time. It's just like, oh, here are these dirty hippies. They don't want these hippies coming in. And, like, that's that's ruining their entire, you know, uh, their entire gig. But the big thing was is, like, during these, you know, this 50s, 60s kind of era and everything, you had a couple of different types of guys. You had the guys like Steve McQueen who did some of these movies and stuff, and then or, or television programs, and then went on to have very successful movie careers. And then you had guys who didn't. Rick Dalton is one of the guys who didn't. Uh, still probably a pretty talented guy, but he just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to get that big break that some of the other guys that were kind of of his ilk were doing. And by the way, What's his nose there? Uh, Damian Lewis playing Steve McQueen. I thought that was such a stupid casting thing, but man, when I saw him, I was just like, "Holy shit! This is a really good. This is a really good Steve he, McQueen." He pulled it off. I really think he pulled it off because at first, I was like, when I was watching, I was like, "Oh gosh, this is going to be terrible." And there's something about it. He I, he pulled off the vibe. I was Sometimes I was someone shocked. Can pull it off. Yep. <laughs> I was really like, that dude. 
Really? Yep. Okay, super. And uh, you know, and there's all like kind of little things and stuff in there, like uh, uh, you see, like Mama Cass. But I mean, we don't wreck. We don't. We don't. You know, we don't say who she is or anything. But like you know, because you've put things. Oh, there's Mackenzie Phillips is over here, so that's gonna be Mama Cass over yep. there. Uh, again. If you're 23 years old and you don't know any of this shit, it's going to be really confusing. It's not going to mean as much to you, right? Uh, but that was – and him – again, some people will probably look at that scene and just be like, well, this is this is stupid. But no, that again, this is a plot point. He's telling you without – you know, in a, in a pretty organic way, here's, here's who all of these characters are. Here's their relation to everyone. But it does and, – and, and it is kind of a, a – a, cool funny thing to just be like oh yeah steve mcqueen couldn't even get this girl you know <laughs> but, right right but, steve mcqueen the king of cool it's like right. you know if, if you just seen steve mcqueen in 1969 there ain't no lady that that dude couldn't get uh right. but yet Ryan she's just McQueen. like oh he's got she's got a type of small creative you know little guys and everything and steve mcqueen's like i didn't even have a chance man and like that's awesome like, again it's <laughs> it even funny. showing you yeah. how like guys that like who go through this thing and make it like steve mcqueen uh you even they've got some insecurities and stuff which i thought was really really cool yeah that was, a, that was a cool scene. Funny scene. Yeah. And also gave you a lot of information. And so, I, uh, you know, he has uh, – uh, Rick Dalton has a meeting with uh, with Al Pacino's character, uh, Mr. Schwarz. Say it correctly. Schwarz. Hey, Schwarz. You're doing it wrong. Uh, and he's basically saying, hey, look, I, I am a huge fan of yours. I like all of your work and everything. Aren't you kind of like, you know, your career's kind of taking a slump right now. You you tend to play a lot of the heavies in these TV shows and stuff. Come around pilot season, then, you know, you'll go and get killed by another, you know, uh, main guy in, in one of these uh, television shows and everything. Wouldn't you like to actually be a star star? And he's it's like, well, I mean, of course I would. Well, how about you travel over to me? Uh, with me over to Italy, we got Sergio Corbucci over here, and the second best Italian, you know, uh, uh, spaghetti western director of all time, and he's going to, uh, you know, we can revive your career. Well, he doesn't see it as that. He sees that as a death as a death knell, which a lot of actors did at the time. Why would you go across the pond with some, you know, Italian director and direct and do cowboy movies when cowboy movies are dropping off the face of the earth right now? They hadn't quite hit the, you know, the way that they would, you know, later in America, of course. Because otherwise he'd be going, "Hell yes, sign me up for this. I want some of that Clint Eastwood action." But we weren't quite there just yet. Uh, but I thought that was like, so he sees this as like a complete downside to his entire career. And I want to talk about it like this because we start to see this a little bit in in this particular scene, uh, which I thought was a really good choice. I don't know if this was a choice by uh, DiCaprio or if this was a choice by Tarantino, but I absolutely love the fact that Rick Dalton is just a, he's a, he's a stutterer. He's a stutterer. He doesn't like. He doesn't really have the confidence that he should. When he gets into these situations, and, and especially for somebody like DiCaprio, who was just like, you know, is the king of cool over there, you know? And but to have him play this character that that's wildly flawed, that's just like doesn't have this confidence in himself when things are brought up that he's kind of ashamed of. He just kind of stutters his way out of it and everything. I, I thought that was a really cool choice that I didn't see an actor like him making. 
Uh, yeah, for sure. That that was a nice little, just a little subtle thing, but it also told you a lot about his character. It, I, I enjoyed that as well. But nothing happens, Robert. But nothing happens. I'm like, you got to be putting nothing me on, happens. dude. Just you guys riding around on a movie set. Uh, nothing who, happens. Who cares? They talk to each other. I'm like, yeah, you, you know, during those words when they're talking to each other, things happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. Uh, so, and what's cool is like we get to see the dynamic between these two guys. You know, uh, Cliff has not been as uh, the stunt man to, for uh, you know a while now. He's kind of just because Rick and him have become such good friends uh, while shooting Bounty Law. He's kind of really hired him to be his like his gopher and his uh, his driver and everything. He can pay him a little bit, but not a whole heck of a lot. And we get to see, the, you know, the dynamic between these two people, how these two people live. You know, he's over there in the Hollywood Hills, whereas, you know, uh, whereas Cliff is over in just in Van Nuys, just outside of the Van Nuys drive-in movie theater. He's He drives forever. And that's what I thought was like a really cool thing. You know, again, everybody just goes like looks at that scene and just goes, oh, he's just driving and music's playing. It's like nothing's happening. It's like, no, it's showing you the dichotomy between these two characters. This guy right, lives the up in the hills. physical space between them, yeah. This guy lives well, way down here in a trailer by a movie theater. In a, yeah, basically lives in a trailer with his dog and, a, and outside of a movie theater while his best buddy lives in the Hollywood Hills. Definitely. And like you said, the... To show it like the way they did really drives that point home. Yeah, because you could you could cut there, you could make that a you know an almost seamless transition, and your brain would be like, oh, he's just down the street. He's not down the street. He's way outside of town because he can't afford to live there, and even Rick can almost barely afford to live there as it stands, because you know pilot season doesn't exactly pay you know buku bucks over here. Right. Now, and later in the film, he talks about selling his house and yeah, so and, and getting away right. and trying to do this because he can't afford to live there. And of course, living across from him uh, for the last couple of months have been Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate moving into that house. And uh, so that's you know, obviously, this is a guy who's struggling to get by, and New Hollywood is literally on his doorstep almost mocking him to his face that like, hey, we're the new hip things. You know, nobody can get, you know, nobody can get to these guys. And then you're like, well, I, 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 what, what do I do? What do I do? I've got these guys over here and I can't, you know, I can't get arrested in this town. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about like a, another scene and we'll, and we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, the significance of that scene. But let's talk about, you know, when, when, uh, when Brad Pitt gets back to his trailer, when he's when when he's back to his trailer feeding the dog Brandy, he's his pit bull. Uh, everybody just goes, "We get to watch him like he feeds his dog for like fifteen minutes. Nothing happens." And I'm just like, "But there's so much that is put down there that pays off later in so many ways that like I, again, you you get to see the the relationship that he has with this dog." how this dog responds to him. The dog clearly loves him because he's, you know, he tackles him when he gets in and he's loving on him. So it's like, it's not, you know, he, he clearly loves this dog, but he also has, you know, very much control over this dog. And much as you're, you know, flopping out big giant, you know, 
<laughs> sloppy dog cans of dog food and dog food <laughs> on top of that. And I can tell you with my dog, I don't know, I'm sure your dog is probably the same way. You, you're not going to get that dog to just sit there while you do all that stuff. There's no way in hell. My dog's like, you know, he's, he's pouncing on that the second that it's in there. Yeah, that's a major discipline right there for sure because, <laughs> yeah, our dogs will be just jumping past you to get to the food. This is like, no, no. But, like, and again, while some people go, like, that's a big giant throwaway, it's not. It's not a throwaway scene. I don't think anything in this entire movie is uh, is throwaway. I think it's all there for a particular reason. You know, Rick is having problems with his, you know, confidence and acting and everything. And you heard it there in the trailer. As 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 you know, Cliff is driving off. He looks at him. And he's just like, "Hey, listen. There's a lot of shit that's going on right now. But remember, you're Rick fucking Dalton. You're you are a great actor. All you have to do is remember that." And he's going. And again, he's working on a western here where he's the heavy. You know, he's not. Again, confidence not high. He doesn't know quite what he's doing. And you know, his first couple of scenes, he screws up. He's he's not doing well at all. But yet. And that, that again, f- informs more stuff down the road. And him getting stuff together, talking with the little actress there and everything. And, and surprisingly, first of all, that little girl was fantastic. Holy crap. You finding that kid. Yeah, I love that scene. Whoo, good stuff. But, like, so. That was a great scene. I, I don't know how you can find kids that can act that damn well. And that, like Leo is like referred to her as like a, in interviews as a little Meryl Streep. And like, I'm like, well, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> she's, she's really good. <laughs> uh, but that conversation led somewhere. That conversation helped make him realize I should really be putting everything into this as opposed to like this little girl who has, you know, she's nine years old, and she's done some things before, but she has such a more healthy outlook on her acting and everything than Rick ever has. And so seeing that just goes like, oh, well, maybe I should try. Maybe I should try a little bit harder. Maybe I should try to do a little bit better. And he does. And, like, that's what, like, and you can see it by the end of that by the end of that scene, he is so excited to have really delivered what he knew he was actually capable of doing. And that's just a great scene, too, because he's you're laughing as the audience as he's breaking down, explaining to the girl what the story's about. And he starts crying because he thinks of it as his own life. So you're laughing. It's funny, but it's also a, a kind of a poignant scene as well, as that you're seeing him really realize his, you know, him coming to terms with man, I'm getting older. My chances are running out. Kind of him having a a midlife crisis right there on screen. Yeah. So it's funny, but also you're not you're laughing at it, but you're not laughing at him like because you don't like him. You really like him, so you kind of feel for him at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Again, because of these hangouts and stuff, you start to care about these characters. You want him to do well. You don't want him to screw up. You want him to go in hey, and kill the these side, scenes for sure. Definitely. Now, uh, now for a Tarantino movie, this this movie actually plays pretty narratively straight. It doesn't really mess around a lot with you know nonlinear storytelling as Tarantino's often uh, known to do. Uh, but there certainly are flashbacks, and those flashbacks are actually pretty darn good. Let's talk about the uh, the Bruce Lee scene. We'd see this in uh, the trailer a bit here. And uh, first of all, what are your thoughts on Bruce Lee? I don't know that we've ever talked about this in all the years that we've known each other. 
I don't think we have. I really don't think we have. Now that I think about it, that's a good point. Are you a fan a fan of Bruce Lee, or yeah, is it? Yeah, casual. Yeah, casually, yes. Like some of his movies and like the TV show and stuff. Then my dad used to watch that. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's not, never been like my top thing. I I was into. There are some people who worship at the uh, the altar of Bruce, and I think right. it's a little bit much. Uh, because, yeah. and they and they kind of he kind of points this out, and and I like that Tarantino sort of points this out because Bruce Lee was a fantastic martial arts philosopher. I don't know that he was a fantastic martial artist, and like, and he kind of like they they make fun of it in this in this movie that like Bruce Lee never really fought people. He never really had these, you know, he didn't enter like martial arts tournaments and stuff. And it's funny because in this, because in the movie and everything, he just goes like, yeah, they don't even let you do all the stuff that you really want to do, you know, in these martial arts tournaments and stuff. So that's why I I don't do them because like, for me, it's all about the true art of combat and everything. And then he goes so far as to say that, you know, if he fought Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time, (laughs) that Muhammad Ali would, he would make him a cripple. And you're just like, are you joking me? You're a five foot, you know, two guy that weighs 130 pounds. Muhammad Ali would destroy you in and like, and again, Brad Pitt says like uh, uh, Rick or uh, Cliff says it the best. He just goes, does it insinuate that you would be anything more than a stain on on Cassius Clay's trunks is an abomination? That was a great line. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because he would just he said what everyone was thinking. Cliff said what everyone was thinking. <laughs> this little tiny guy, and but Bruce Lee had. He did. He was he was a guy who had a giant. Chi- he was a little man who had a giant chip on his shoulder. Who was certainly talented. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that Bruce Lee was not a talented martial artist. Uh, but I think if you really threw him in, you know, in, in the cage in the octagon or whatever, that Bruce Lee would just go down. He'd go down super super fast. And so yeah, they- and I like the scene because it called him. It caught him out on some of that stuff. Yet still didn't completely. It didn't, you know, it didn't trash him. It didn't neuter him completely. So anybody that just that really gets on the uh you know, oh, he really disrespected Bruce Lee. I'm like, well, he he called out a lot of things that Bruce Lee kind of, you know, think things I don't know that these are exact things that he said, but very much if you've watched a lot of Bruce Lee interviews, there's some things that are very much kind of like that. So it's not ultimately very surprising that these things would happen. Uh, but, you know, he gets a good drop kick on Cliff and, like, you know, throws him down a bit. And so it's like, okay, well, clearly that's, you know, he can do that. And then they have a, a, a good fight, throws him up against a car, and it's just like, holy crap. And I love how, uh, you know, how nonplussed he is about everything. Where he's just like, what the hell happened to this car? Now, I did not know that was your car. <laughs> <laughs> Had I known. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, what happened to the car? I threw this little prick into it. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was really good. And that was the reason why he could not be on the set of this of this new flick that that Rick's doing because the same stunt coordinator was the coordinator for the Green Hornet. That was a flashback to him in the Green Hornet days and kind of why, you know, that character is probably not welcome with that stunt team. (laughs) Right. And, and the whole the whole uh, little backstory there about, oh, yeah, by the way, Cliff, Cliff killed his wife. That whole that, that was hilarious. I thought that was a great thing, too. And again, we never really know if Cliff killed his wife. He might <laughs> I think have. We might know. I think we have a good idea. 
<laughs> but yeah, it's he great. might have, but he was not convicted of it. He's got. But it does not take away from our liking of his character. That's the great part about it. No, like, I mean yeah, this guy might have killed his wife. This guy probably killed his wife, but we still like him. We spend like 15 seconds with her on a boat, and we're in like all of a sudden you're just like, well, you know, accidents really happen, don't they? Bad if he did do it, <laughs> it's like right. she does seem like a pretty horrible person. So <laughs> we don't see him killing it. We just maybe he did. An unfortunate right. accident happened. We got a little Natalie Wood situation on our hands here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I saw it. Yeah, I was just like that. Felt like That's what great. it was to me. It was just like, oh, so we're not gonna. It's this is exactly like the Natalie Wood situation where we're all just kind of gonna go. What do you we know? Do? We don't know. We don't know for sure. The only people, you know, they're true. There are two people who are also on that boat that are still alive, but we don't gotta talk about that if we don't have to. You know, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, but that, that but that fight scene is, is 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 a lot of fun and seeing those guys go back and forth. Uh, of course, doing the right thing, giving everybody some uh, some Brad Pitt eye candy and stuff. But again super cool stuff here like when he's driving down the road to his house and everything you know you see all the scars on his arms and everything he has the scars and everything of a stuntman takes his shirt off and yeah again tons of the scars and stuff the tattoo like he looks like a stuntman would have looked in the late 60s right so you buy it so while it's great icon candy it's a part of the story right and they do reference it in the movie too like like a few people say a few characters say oh you're kind of you're kind of pretty for a stuntman yeah so they kind of make a little wink and nod at it but you still buy it yeah exactly you you buy what he's doing and uh but again like again like he's a he's a physical specimen he looks good he looks like he can do the things that he's you know reportedly to do and when he I, I love how you know when he's going to fix the antenna on top of Rick's house and everything, he just kind of parkours up the walls. He doesn't need a ladder or anything. Again, showing you again, stunt man. This is it's something else that informs story, that informs character. Yep. Uh, super sure. good. Uh, soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, it is out right now. You can stream it on uh, like Apple uh, Apple Music. Uh, but I would say this, though, because there's some songs that aren't really included properly and everything. There are a couple of good playlists out there that incorporate the songs that are not available unless you buy the soundtrack. I'm waiting for vinyl. I know that sounds weird. I think third. Spotify Sorry. has a pretty good list because I was checking it out yesterday, actually. But it's, and it, it was fairly comprehensive, it looked like. Yeah. Now, the big thing is, though, is that with, with the album proper and everything, they put in a lot of the old radio commercials and everything, which is super cool. But I, I, I yeah. like I like the I like the soundtrack a whole bunch. I think there's and, and again, it, it sounds strange coming from a guy you know born in the early '80s. But my parents were you know teenagers when uh, you know in 1969. So I, I I grew up just listening to all the stuff that they listened to. <laughs> so like my knowledge of like '60s and '70s music is far beyond you know most people my age. I think uh, so. Mm-hmm. Like hearing this stuff just really. Uh, really killed it for me, and I, I'm 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 a little pissed because um, the Vanilla Fudge song, uh, the, their cover and everything, his mm-hmm. Tarantino has a different edit on it. And when you listen to the, I mean, because the song itself is like I think like two minutes long, but that scene is obviously very long. So Tarantino has because it, it's listed as Tarantino edit. 
Uh, <laughs> so they took that song and it like elongated and everything, and it's a very kind of psychedelic, uh, uh, you know, take on that song and everything. Uh, but um, first of all, a I love the the original song. B I already liked their version of the song, and then when you make it, you know, an extended kind of you know crazy psychedelic mix, even better. And then you add it to an, then you add that to a scene, and that scene again. I think it's something else that Tarantino's done many, many times in his career is uh, take a song, and now you will forever associate that song with a Tarantino movie. And uh, he's done a, he's done a, a number for all of this stuff. I'll say it's good stuff. Yeah, I agree. That that was, I mean, the, the music, just the radio, the music, the the. The, the weather reports, the jingles, the commercials, everything, it's like its own character in the movie, really. It puts and, you in and, the time and place. Yeah, and it's so great how he mixed the movie. That came in. It reminded me a lot of American Graffiti, how they use the music both on the radio and not, but just that music, just ever-present, that radio, always on. Because that's what it, it was. Really and like, a, and he, he, Yeah, it built the atmosphere of he, the time period. It really made you get into that time period. He mentions it during interviews and stuff like that. Was just like, look, back in the day, that's all you had. You had the radio, and you played the radio loud. The commercials come on. You didn't turn it down. You just talked over it. <laughs> right. And so you just yeah. And that's what like. And it was so cool because like uh, for me because the soundtrack wasn't out when I actually uh, saw the film first. But you know what I did when I was you know finished with this thing at five o'clock in the morning. The sun's just kind of starting to come up, and I'm about to take the drive home and everything. I put on the oldies station and just cranked it up, and like it's just like you do that, roll down the windows. That's what this movie makes you want to do. It makes you want to listen to '60s music with the windows down, driving fast and ir and you know irresponsible. You know, yeah. It puts you in that time and place for sure. The the way the music works, and plus, like you said, that that just that slow build up and that hanging out with those characters and hanging out in, you know, L.A. in 1969, you really become immersed in it. So many people in this movie, man. It's kind of unbelievable because you know we all know the three main you know leads. And then there are so many side characters and so many side people that you almost don't even you don't even see half of them like because like their stuff is just so darn fast i mean you know bruce dern here and gone uh and and i'll say this the one thing that shocked me the most with these characters is i found a movie that made me enjoy a lena dunham role <laughs> who knew i was thinking the same thing i was just like oh shit she's really good She's really good at this part. I I thought I very believable that that kind of like hippie love child kind of like hey man just like going over just giving everybody a little hug and a kiss and just kind of like oh no, no. but it it worked it absolutely it worked it, it, all it. of the people uh, that were in you know the Manson family uh, you know uh, were just unbelievably good actors and that was the cool part so. Cliff has seen uh, this girl hitchhiking a couple of times, and by the third time, he's finally going the direction that she needs, and turns out that uh, she lives at Spawn Ranch with a whole bunch of other people. And uh, he's like, hey, I used to you know, shoot uh, television shows and stuff back in the day over there. I'm going to go check it out. Drives right. down, and everything seems a little bit off. Yeah, and there's a lot of tension in that scene as well. I mean, if you really like, uh, you know, your standard Tarantino type things you had to appreciate that scene as well and it's uh, but it's all about like and I think this is a lot of uh, what, what kind of makes this movie run too is 
Cliff is very curious. He doesn't, he's like, something doesn't quite seem right here. I need to investigate. I need to look at this. I want to make sure that, you know, everything here is on the up and up. Right. He knew something did not pass the smell test as soon as he got there. He's like, okay, wait a minute. You're living out there? Is it, are, do, do they even, does he even know that you're living out there? And that's when they go and visit him and everything. And yeah, kind of. <laughs> he kind of lets them work there. He kind of lets them live around there, but not quite sure. But something isn't right. And again, all of this stuff, had he not had this experience uh, up to this point, it, it, he doesn't have the rest of the story. The rest of the story almost isn't even there. Uh, but right. let's talk about... Um, I forget his name off the top of my head here, and IMDb for this movie has done a really shitty job with trying to, I don't know, at least uh, via the app. Uh, Austin Butler, who plays Tex Watson, is fantastic. Yeah, he did a good job for sure. He is just yeah. like, he has that he like that little, like, there's some sort of crazy manic thing underneath. Uh, seems kind of normal, but there's something in there that's just not quite right. And like, and when things go down, it was just like, wow. I mean, again, that's another one, another guy I don't really know, but uh, just really kind of killed it there. So let's let's kind of fast forward a little bit here. So we're gonna say from this point out, there will be spoilers. Uh, well, we'll give a quick, quick, uh, I recommend this movie wholeheartedly. I, I, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I've seen it twice at this point. Uh, later in the week, I'm traveling, uh, from Charlotte to Raleigh to be, to watch this movie in 35 millimeter at the Alamo draft house up there. So like, I am a fan. I'm a huge giant fan. I, I love this movie tremendously. Uh, what were your kind of overall thoughts? I'm, I'm with you. I think we were both in the same mindset here watching this thing um definitely something you need to go see in a theater i mean i'm a big proponent of home theater and i hate going to movies crowds and bad presentation Mm. whatnot but this is something you've got to go see absolutely you're you're gonna really regret it if you don't go see this in the theater for sure i will say this people have definitely gone to see it uh it made 40 million dollars in its opening weekend best opening uh for tarantino yet which is fantastic news uh, so I, I think ultimately, I mean, $90 million budget, they'll probably make that back should be pretty good because I think most of, I've seen most word of mouth be pretty positive. Some of it is, some of it is negative, but even some of the negative ones are just like, well, you did sit through two hours worth of crap, but man, that last 30 minutes was pretty unbelievable. And so like even those cats that didn't even like the first, you know, bit of it definitely by the end, you know, I have a smile on their face. So let's uh, so let's talk about that from here on out. Spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. All right. We said it enough times. If you haven't turned it off by now and you're going to get it spoiled, that's your own damn fault, not mine. So shut up. Because uh, I also because I think ultimately because not only are we going to spoil what went on. I think I'm going to talk about why I think that this also informs a lot of what this movie is. Uh, so they the guys get home uh, after a three month stint in Italy, uh, kind of becoming the uh, the hopeful spaghetti western stars that he might one day be, uh, but still career kind of in the in the middle. But he re- but both uh, uh, Rick and um, 
Cliff realize that this is probably going to be their last rodeo together and they're going to go off into the sunset. So they decide to have one last rousing night at Rick's house just drinking and uh, Cliff will be smoking a uh, acid lace cigarette that he bought from one of the Manson <laughs> girls. And, uh, and while he's walking his dog... Uh, he sees he sees these guys coming out, uh, driving up the street. Well, actually, before then, even uh, you know, Rick sees them pull up in their car. It's just kind of idling there. They're going to kill Sharon Tate and and her friends. And then the movie takes another direction and says, "No, actually, they recognize uh, they recognize Cliff from previous." And then they have a thought of like, hmm, maybe we should go and, you know, show show these, you know, these pigs a lesson by, you know, killing the people that are perpe- uh, are just glorifying violence and all this other stuff, ruining humanity via, you know, movies and television. So let's kill these guys. How poetic would that be? And the funny part is, is like, you know, they, uh, one girl gets away. Thank God. <laughs> she goes, oh, maybe I don't have to do this. I think she was literally nope. going to the car to, she's like, oh, I guess I forgot my knife. And she was, she was going down to the car. So I think that she was just going to try to wait it out and everything. Then he goes, no, I locked the car, tosses the keys and she takes off. And I'm just like, good for her. <laughs> she realizes like, oh shit, this is not good. I should not be doing this. And I should, I just, I better leave right now. And so they go in there, and at this point, uh, Cliff is uh, tripping balls, <laughs> turns on the stereo really loud, that Vanilla Fudge song that we were talking about, and uh, they break into his house, and of course, he's like, you know, tripping on acid. He's trying to feed his dog. He's putting everything together. This, so his dog's like sitting on the couch, raring to go. They bust into the house. Dog's still sitting there, being a good dog. And then, uh, you know, he's just like, what the hell? Are you real? <laughs> Is this what's going on right now? <laughs> and I love that when he said, are you real? And by the way, Brad Pitt plays high very, very well. I'm just looking at it like, yep, that's a guy who has done some drugs because that is exactly how you act. <laughs> like his, like that waving the hand in front of the face and just going, oh shit, <laughs> things are things are taking off over here. And of course, when someone is pointing a gun at your face and you're just like, I don't know what this is. But again, everything that Cliff has done in his career has led to like him being able to take care of this moment. So right. we realize at that point, these guys aren't going to kill Sharon Tate. You're, we're going. We're going to get a. a we're going to get a freebie on this. Tarantino is changing history again, and saying, "Nope, they're actually going to fight these guys." And when it gets to that, like it builds and it builds as they're like that little Mexican standoff, as we'll call it, because the other one doesn't have a, a has a knife and not a gun, but you know for all intents and purposes, uh, with that standoff and everything and the music playing in the background and is just building and building and building. And then he lets the dog go and holy shit, the, the Brandy is the fucking king of this movie, man. Yeah. Brandy just goes beast mode. Goes absolutely nuts. Just destroys this guy. And we honest in like, it's such a great feeling because these horrible pieces of shit in like an actual... But, Two of which are still alive, by the way, uh, yeah. in, in prison, get what should have happened to them. Because <laughs> these people are just absolutely just the worst, and they get destroyed, and we have a a revenge fantasy here. We have we have the the ending we wish history would have given us. 
And nice. it's and when he threw the dog the dog food can to the, the face was great. Again, all of this is form and function and what he's thinking of. That's why he's feeding the dog. Why the fuck is he feeding the dog at Rick's house? It doesn't make any fucking sense. But you know what does? This is why. Because <laughs> because th- because this this is the reason why why we have to do this, and it absolutely works. He's still holding that can. The can just bashing her face and was fucking oh god it was brutal you know k and b was behind all this garbage <laughs> it's so good and then he was so over the top the the smack the smashing of the face just kept going oh and when he that grabs this girl she stabs him in the in the thigh with like a steak knife or whatever and he just goes like oh that's funny well i'm gonna fucking just beat the shit out of you you're just gonna be obliterated here and every bit of it is just it's so satisfying because again if you know history it's even more satisfying because you know what these fucking monsters did exactly and just to have that just like and that's that's all what this movie hinges on for me is that like this is it's an alternate history of like what would have happened if we would if if someone had just been there if if these two guys were around would this might not have happened you never really know right. and that's the whole it's like the fairy tale ending right exactly and the big thing is is that to me this is all about the choices that people make the outcomes of those choices because everything that they're doing in this movie relies upon characters you know choosing to do something rick chooses to become a better a better actor because he he's you know he goes you know what this is inside of me i can do this stuff he makes that decision he he says I don't want to go to Italy because I don't think I, that, that like that's going to be the end of my career if I go to Italy. Well, he goes to Italy because he, you know, again, that was a choice that he ended up making. And his career is going to be defined by those choices. Everything that Cliff does ends up being a choice that he makes because he didn't have to pick up this girl. He didn't have to go to Spawn Ranch. He could have just dropped her off at the next thing and nothing would have ever happened. And perhaps the story would have been exactly the same as the story that we know uh, that happened in real life. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, every every choice that is made is, is impacts the world in one way, shape, or form. And that's what this movie does is just say like, hey, what if, what if that didn't happen? What if we actually got the the ending that we deserve and not the ending that we you know got? And again, I think it's uh, part of this to me is Sharon Tate and, and and Roman Polanski in this, they kind of represent, again, they're here for that new Hollywood stuff. Um, this movie is about Tarantino. I don't care what anybody says. I like, and he, he can you can refer back to all the actors and stuff that this could have easily been, uh, uh, you know, uh, paralleled with. Some people are obviously saying like uh, uh, Hal Needham is 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 Brad Pitt's character essentially, which you know makes sense, right? You could see that because you got. I mean, like you know, you got all the stunts and everything. You know, you're Smokey and the Bandit, <laughs> uh, but you know that's that kind of guy. And actually, from what everybody says, he met led, led a much more interesting life than even <laughs> even the Cliff character did. And there was a lot of uh, the, uh, this movie made me think. I was thinking there was a few scenes in the movie that definitely reminded me of Hooper for sure. The aging, mm-hmm. the aging stunt guy, aging actor, worried about being replaced. 
Pitt's career is coming to a close. It <laughs> reminded me a lot of that. Movie. Well, yeah, and and like and he, you know, he lived with all oh, what's his face. You lived with Burt Reynolds for a while, and so you know they had that kind of relationship. So it was very. And Burt Reynolds was going to be in this just before just before he passed away. So I really wish he would have been in this too, man. That would have been such a oh, great, great. send off for for Reynolds to be. It would have been perfect. you know one more time and have it be a Tarantino movie. It's like shit. I was like, we really missed out on that. So that's unfortunate, but. Uh, it's but you can watch this movie and just go like oh okay well there's plenty of parallels to his his real life in this anyways but i think a lot of this is really tarantino coming to terms with what his career is now he said that he wants to do 10 films and then just be done um and i i i think i tend to believe him when he says that but I think this is him struggling and just saying like, Hey, here are all the different decisions that I make. Like I, he doesn't want to grow up, so to speak, (laughs) to be Rick Dalton. He doesn't want to be that old guy who's directing movies. That's one of his big things is he says, I don't want to be an old man director because old man directors tend to fall off. Even some of the best one, even like, you know, your Hawks and Wilder and all that kind of stuff. When you get later into their movie careers, they're not super hot. It's like it's a lot more miss than there are hits. There's a couple hits, but more misses than hits. And he's like, I'd rather have a full film career. And I I think that uh, so that that's he doesn't want to become Rick. But at the same time, I think he ultimately doesn't really care that if he were to become Cliff, who's a guy who doesn't is not a man of means, doesn't have a lot of stuff and is like super content. You can't sit there and say that, like, you know, Cliff hates life. Cliff enjoys himself. He doesn't have to be rich. He doesn't have to live in the Hollywood Hills. He's happy to live in his trailer behind a movie theater in Van Nuys with a dog that he loves. And that's that's just what he's he's there doing. He's the guy that we all wish that we could be. And like I said, I think the, the whole Sharon Tate thing was that's new Hollywood, le- le, you know, uh, looming on the corner saying, hey, here's something new thing, uh, you know, and that can be interpreted as anything today, be it, uh, you know, television, because we are in a, a wildly you know, successful age of television, something that he said that like, hey, if I came back to directing, I'd probably would do like, you know, like a big mini series or maxi series or something along those lines. Uh, so Things are just changing. Things are evolving, and it's all based upon the choices that one makes. And I think that that's a big portion of this movie is him trying to work out what his future is going to be in Hollywood via these characters. What are your thoughts on that? Am I insane? No, I can definitely see that. But I just think, too, I mean, his personality, his energy, his creative juices, I don't see him slowing down yet. I just think he'll do other so. stuff, or or he's going to retire like Steven Soderbergh retired. Because I think Steven Soderbergh retired because he just didn't like the system, you know? And then when he realized, oh, I can do, like, you know, I can kind of do what I've always sort of done, is do things my own way. And, you know, he puts out, like, you know, Logan Lucky, and he puts out uh, Unsane. I mean, Unsane was shot on an iPhone, for Christ's sakes, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, Tarantino can do what he wants. He has enough clout, and he has enough A-list actors who love him that he's definitely got pulled to do what he wants. But I the movie's fantastic. I mean, again, you you got you smile at the end because you realize it not just Sharon Tate, but her friends. Her friends also lived. And that's I'm like you I mean get the it, title. The title makes sense. At the end it was like, "Oh, I get it now." Yeah. It's a fairy tale. This whole thing Once is upon a just time in Hollywood. a big giant fairy tale of a a, a what if sort of situation. 
Things could have right. turned out, you know, much differently, much better, obviously. Uh, but I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I love hanging out with these characters. I Every decision that's made in this is just top-notch. Robert Richardson's cinematography, again, I love how he's... Uh, uh, he was like Oliver Stone's uh, DP for such a long time, and now he's really kind of become uh, Quentin's DP, which I think is really good. Because you know, look, the guy's freaking great. You know, he's there's there's a reason why you're in this uh, industry for forty years. <laughs> you're really good. Uh, but it's it's just a fantastic film. I I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, did you stay for the mid credit sequence? <laughs> No, I did not know there was one. Oh, no one did. And I, I just kind of, because I was uh, enjoying the music towards the end there. Uh, but there is a mid credit sequence uh, where Rick Dalton is uh, shooting a spot for Red Apple Cigarettes. Oh, that's and, great. And uh, he, he talks about how, like, they're, they're great, un- these great unfiltered cigarettes <laughs> with that uh, have a smooth, great flavor and less throat burn. <laughs> He mentions oh, throat fun. burn no less than two times, <laughs> at least three times, I think. But he just talks about that, and uh, you can hear uh, Tarantino is the, is the director of that commercial, and just says cut, and he's just like, "Damn it, why is there a double chin on this thing? It's a piece of shit." <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much like oh. something that was super cool, but like there, it didn't really have a place in the movie. But I felt like it was one of those things where he just really wanted to put that in. So it's like I'm gonna throw this in there. I gotta put it in somewhere. Bit. Put it in the credit. Uh, but it was it, it, it's a it's a lot of fun. The soundtrack is fantastic. I think this this is hopefully a movie that I, I I hope that people will watch it at least one more time. Especially those that didn't particularly care for it the first time, watch it with a different set of eyes because I, there's a lot to be had there. And again, I think if you have your own ideas to what a movie should be as opposed to, you know, allowing the movie to be what it is, if you're if you allow that, if you just go like, okay, I know what this is. Now, you ever have that with like I mean, we've had that with like movies and like albums that you listen to. Yeah, for sure, like albums especially. You listen to it the first time, it's not which, oh, this doesn't sound like that other album they did that I love, so this is garbage, Mm -hmm. and then you keep playing it, and it's like, well, this is actually really good because I gave it a chance. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, especially like uh, a band that's had records out for a long time, and then they put out something new, and it is just like... Uh, it's okay, but it's it's not as good as the other ones. And then, you know, if you continue to listen to that album, uh, there's a couple that I know that, like, years later are favorite albums of mine. I just go like, oh, no, that album's really, really good. You just Sometimes you just got to get rid of your preconceived notions as to what you think something should be and just enjoy it as it is, and maybe it'll actually grow on you. And that's what I think some people probably need to do with this and i know at two hours and 40 minutes it's not a quick you know head to the movies and see it again uh but gosh it's it's so damn good i can't recommend it highly enough it is definitely one of my favorite movies of this year uh so guys do yourself a favor if you if you like tarantino in any way throw your ideas of what tarantino does out of your head and then just go watch this movie i think you'll uh quite enjoy it what do you final thoughts I, I agree, and I think I think a lot of people like us that did enjoy it are going to go see it multiple times, like you already have, and I plan to, and you plan to see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think the movie could have legs because of that, because I think it's really going to have a fan base that's really going to realize, wow, this is really good. I need to go see it again while it's in the theater. 
So I really think it could have some legs that way. Yeah, they just they, they need to figure it out. <laughs> just get it. Just get it I in your head, people. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I got a question for you. For the first time you're watching this movie, um, what were you thinking about? Because we talked about the conflict. Like you kind of always know there's that dark cloud of you know what's going to or you think you know what's coming at some point in the movie. What did you think was going to end up happening or what were you worried might happen? I don't know. See, that's the biggest thing for me is that, like, I really, I do the best, no matter if it's this movie or other movies in, or, or anything else like that. Uh, I'm never a person who tries to uh, figure out a mystery when they're watching a movie. I like having right. it just kind of unfold in front of me as I'm watching it. I don't necessarily have to. Uh, I, I don't try just, to figure. Everything yeah, out. Right. like I that's that I don't get joy from that. I don't get joy from being two steps ahead of of, of the filmmaker. I, I like things to just wash over me and have fun. Like there was part of me that had that thought in my head of just like, I wonder. I mean, are we gonna see that? Or are they going to be involved in like like Are they going to come in during the middle of you know? of them breaking in or something like that. I didn't think that they were just going to bypass them altogether and it become like, no, no, instead of this person, because we had this interaction with this bad interaction with these people before and we've come up with whatever bullshit, you know, reason to justify our horrible deeds. Uh, I didn't see something like that coming, which I thought was like a really good twist. And when they decide to do that, like honest to God, like even just before the you know brandy attacks i i still think there's a chance that you know across the street could really have a problem right like i i'm even thinking like oh something might go down here and then that will still be a thing that happens that's but, what i was thinking i thought oh man after this the real murder is going to take place but, but then obviously but when, when brandy gets going out. boy it is like oh shit we are going in a very different like he's doing what we kind of like there's there was always a little something in the back of my head thinking that but it's just like oh no he's going alternate history here and when it happens it is so damn satisfying that like it you was know. very enjoyable it was kind of a relief too because i was so worried i was like are they gonna like i was like i hope they don't try to share the rise i just thought i was just like really hoping they weren't going to be like exploitative of the actual event no one you needs know? to see i mean you don't people, yeah. you know you don't and need this, to see this only that. happened 50 years ago you know yeah it's 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 not exactly you know the, the furthest thing away uh, right. Just to have that go through and, and happen and just be that just great cathartic relief of, of like, it, it feels like even though it didn't happen, it feels like in an odd way, in an alternate timeline, justice was served. Right. Like it doesn't. And I love the ending. It was such a relief, and like you said, it was so exhilarating. And it was also a relief because the whole movie, I just had the tension, like, oh man, this is such a good vibe. Yeah, I know what's coming. And especially when remember when they when they get back from Italy, and they're playing the Stones song, mm-hmm. "Baby, You're Out of Time." I was like, oh man, that's oh that's so awful, because that's all you're thinking about. Oh, this is August night. Yeah, they're playing that song. It was just oh, it was heartbreaking. It was sad, but then things took the, a twist that I never saw coming. I admit it, I didn't, but I was really, really liked the way he ended the movie. It, it's super good. I, like I said, I, I can't say enough good things about it, and I, I think you know, not misaligned by some people uh, that you know. I, I don't. 
I don't know. I'll like I'll have to talk to several people. I know one person I was talking to, he really wanted to kind of hear my thoughts on this. I'm like, I'm recording a podcast. Don't worry. I'm going to have thoughts. And I'm sure, you know, because I'm going to see him on Thursday, I'm, I'm probably for sure. And so we'll probably talk about that uh, yet again, because the people that don't like it, they're just like, oh, it's fine but i don't know it's 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 a, it's a lesser tarantino and i'm like it's a different oh, tarantino no. it's a different tarantino I i'll give you that disagree i disagree but to me I this i don't think it's lesser at all this this definitely falls in in the category of just like it, it's fantastic i just I, I i can't i can't scream its praises enough uh definitely go see I'm, once upon a time in hollywood everybody i'm with you but it's the most fun i've had in a movie in, in quite some time um we cannot in the podcast, though, without mentioning something we haven't talked about yet. Oh. And that's the 14th Fist of McCluskey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. speaking of payoffs, when Rick gets up at the pool, you it, knew what he was doing. Everyone in the theater my. knew what he was going to get. It was so good. Like, but And again, here's another fucking really cool thing, all right, is that during this whole thing, their life was imitating their art. Cliff was in kicking all the ass, being the real fucking badass guy, and hey. Rick is over in his pool just jamming out to some music on some headphones. He doesn't know yep. shit's going on, but when it comes time for that ultimate hero moment, he, he remembers the flight. He's there. Or... He's there, and it's a, and again, fucking everything in this movie pays off. People, when we see him it earlier does. with the flamethrower. He's in. He's at his house. He's at yeah. his house doing that. And so we we're seeing that. Yes, he knows how to do this. He's done that. And that places that for some weird reason you can just go. But but yeah, we've seen him at his house with that before. So it might be at his house. It's, it's fair enough. And it's totally believable that he would want to keep the flamethrower. I would totally buy that. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, cool. I get this souvenir and stuff. And he just goes like, oh, shit, this is insane. And, of course, it's it's what we all want to happen. And, like, oh, oh my yeah. God, that girl is fantastic. Her, like, just shrieking and just writhing all over the place is so good. <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, that was a great, great so, scene. So, like, yeah, I mean, between, like, things like that, me enjoying Lena Dunham and uh, and uh, Timothy Oliphant, I, who I just, I don't know why. He's got a very fucking punchable face to me. I just. Yes, but he was, yeah, but he was. But he yeah, was great. He was, he, was, he was exactly, you know, who that character uh, should have been back in the day. But, man, oh, man, I there's so much to go in on this movie. And I, I think that, you know, it can be talked about for forever in a day. Uh, but, oh, uh, sure. man, oh man, I I've enjoyed this and I've enjoyed having you on the podcast, my friend. I've enjoyed talking about this. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I, I I'm like you, I wanted somebody to talk to about it cause I enjoyed it so much. So this was really, really great. Hopefully people will start to see this a little bit more. And then, uh, I, I, I want this movie to make all the money and come on people stop seeing fucking lion King for Christ's sakes. Why, oh, why wow. do you, why do you want to see the same thing that you've already seen before you have it in your house and it's done much better. I've, I've kind of, I haven't watched it, but man, I've snuck in, well, snuck in. I work at the fucking theater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I, I've gone into a couple, a couple of times and watched a couple scenes and stuff. And it's just like, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like it's not animated well enough. Uh, and as much as, and, and I mean that in as much as like the faces aren't, but like no one's emotive. It's like the lips are barely moving to where you're looking and you're just like, are they even like making the lips move on this? What's going down? It's, I, I don't know why anyone would watch that. Get out and watch this movie where you're going to just like, 
Hell, even if you don't like it, even if you think those first two hours are fucking garbage, that fucking end will throw you on your ass, dude. So just just yeah. do it, people. Uh, so that's it. Uh, you know, uh, so Robert, you you gonna come back and do some more stuff? Maybe uh, we'll do something in the studio because I'll be honest with you, the Skype was it wasn't bad. It it could have been a lot better. There were a couple of little lag points, but uh, we've certainly had worse on other shows. I can tell you that much. But uh, <laughs> right, oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back by the the studio there and we'll talk about a movie we'll, sometime. We'll Absolutely, have, we'll do some more of that coming up soon. So uh, and of course, uh, check out uh, Here Movie Podcast, HereMoviePodcast dot com, and uh, Preacher Podcast is coming back next week. So uh, if you guys are on board with that, check us out over at Preacher Podcast. And uh, coming up in October, we're going to start yet another podcast because we're insane people. And uh, we're going to be covering the new Watchmen show on HBO. So uh, stay tuned for that one as well. Uh, That is it, everybody. We will see you guys, I don't want to say next week, but at least sometime in the very, very near future. Uh, For Robert Nunnery, my name is Adam Portress, and we will see you guys next time. (laughs) 